Hi there. What? Two episodes in two days. Or maybe three, depending on when I release this. But too many. Too many, surely. I am sitting here at the top of the world. Top of the world, Ma. Not quite. Um, I'm sitting um, on a bench looking at the top of the world. Rather the highest point for quite a long distance. It is the volcanic regional... um, area, regional preserve that is very close to my home. I think it's only, it's less than two miles. It takes a little while to get here because you've got to go up this windy, you know, go along Grizzly Peak, which is a windy old road. And um, it's, um, yeah, I've been walking here every day. I I am building in a lot of exercise and, and walks and steps into my day. And it is a bit windy here, so if there's a bit of wind noise, apologies. I think that um, that's wee Timorous Bushy's, uh, you know, trademark, the wind noise. So sorry for stealing that, um, if you can hear it. And yeah, I've been building a lot of exercise because I'm on a, I'm on a health kick. I'm on a big old health kick. Um, yeah, so in... Um, when was it? Probably February. I checked in at my top weight. I wouldn't call it fighting weight. I'd probably call it expiring weight. Um, yeah, I checked in at uh, 224 pounds. Yeah, which is 16 stone for the Brits. And um, in however you carve it up, that is too much weight for a man of my age to be carrying. I'm, I'm reasonably tall. I'm six feet tall. But um, apparently, the weight I should be, my, my, to be within a healthy BMI range, is a little bit less than that. Just a little bit less. Um, let's not say what it is, because it's almost too, too horrifying to contemplate. But... I have been on a health kick. Um, I found this... Um, th- I hadn't heard of it before, but I found this app called Noom. It was it was someone at work um, mentioned it in relation to something we were doing for, for a project, um, which wasn't about weight loss. It was, it was around, um, you know, other healthy stuff. And I thought, well, I'll have a look at it. And then it was like, well, people seem to say it works, but then, you know, it's all... It's all a load of um, mumbo jumbo, isn't it? All this um, Weight Watchers and all that. You just, you know, um, I, I've tried some crazy things in the past. I once did an apple and milk diet, which worked um, for the time it worked, and then I put all the weight back on afterwards because it's it's unsustainable. You can't just eat apples and milk. I lost a shitload of weight back then just eating apples and milk. Believe me, um, but uh, but yeah, none of these crash programs are sustainable because it's about building new habits and actually um, rethinking your your attitude your relationship to food I've always been a huge foodie and food is one of the greatest pleasures of my life so it's hard for me I, I, I build a lot of stuff in my life around food a lot of stuff and I think a lot of people do which is why it's so hard it's so hard to re- reconfigure so so this app called Noom moon backwards i don't know why they called it that um it's not only weight loss and exercise but it's got this cbt aspect this cognitive behavioral therapy aspect to it which uh, which is why i probably mentioned it a couple of 
episodes ago, um, it really starts to, you know, try to help you change your behaviours. Um, stop thinking of this all or nothing mindset about food. Um, start to really realise what you're putting in your body and also giving you a lot of practical advice on how to um, avoid relapsing, avoid, you know, get over those slips and surges and humps and plateaus and all the stuff we know about if we've ever tried to lose weight so um yeah i started on 13th of march i've got the date in my calendar i was a little bit below 224 at that point i was 222 and in the last month i've i've lost um i've lost over 20 pounds and i'm doing about 10,000 steps a day and i'm still nowhere near where I need to be but um but it feels good it feels good and um I can see this being something I can continue I, I guess at some point you start introducing more food back into your daily intake because obviously you don't want to keep losing weight and I I don't know even if that would happen um but uh it's clever it's clever it's, it's got an intelligence system the, the more exercise you do in a day the more calories you can add not one for one but um you know like half for every one it's like xp for gold kind of thing and <laughs> and uh yeah so that's not why i'm leaving this episode the reason i'm making this episode is because a certain uh, mr jason Connolly left this message hey andy jason here so I think you defended why, you know, your home group would be treated more seriously and why a, a longer-term game or a game with maybe the players have more character um, attachment would, would be a more serious game. But I'm not sure you defended why a published adventure would be a more serious game. And, and you mentioned all three. kind of like to hear your, your squirming defense of why a published adventure is more serious. Thank you. So there you go. How is it possible to record a 30-minute episode about one particular question, more or less, and forget to answer the question, really, awfully? It's funny how our minds work. But, well, I, thank you, Jason, for prompting me. Thank you for, for your close listening, because I felt I had answered it, but then on listening back, I realised I hadn't answered it. Why? Why, indeed? is a published campaign why why have why do i assign more weight to it i mean literally it weighs more <laughs> that's the glib answer um and actually in a roundabout way that is sort of why because there's more there isn't there um i think let me try and break this down. This isn't going to be a long episode. Um, there's probably more about weight loss than about, about this answer, but let's see. Um, I'm just walking past a... Well, what Amelia and I call the fairy circle. Um, it's not. It's called the Mazzarella Labyrinth. Some local person found these in good spots in this volcanic region. Um, some of them accessible, some of them less accessible. And she made these amazing labyrinths out of volcanic stone that she laid down in these spirals. It's very much like the land art of... Um, what's his name? Uh, spiral Jetty. The guy that did Spiral Jetty. Uh, 
can't remember. I used to study art, so I should know this stuff, but I don't. Smithson? Robert Smithson? No, that's not it. Anyway, they're beautiful, and they're designed in this really clever way that you feel like you're getting to the centre, and then suddenly they, you're back out on the outside again because they, they fold in on themselves, and they're almost like these extra dimensions folded up inside space-time. And um, that's a little preview of something that's going to happen soon in one of my campaigns. <laughs> so, to get, I got to the centre, and everyone leaves these little, I guess, offerings to the, to the fairies. Or at least that's what Amelia and I think. I'm not sure if everyone thinks of them as fairies, but, um, but we do. So, yeah, to get back to the, the campaign question, I'm not, am I ever going to answer this? I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer, but let, let's try and explore it. You know, there's, I think there's all these psychological triggers for why we do things. Here's CBT talking again. And, you know, when you've spent money on something and you get it and it's this artifact and it has weight and it has... Um, texture and hardness and, and and cleverness and and you can feel and smell and taste the work and effort that's gone into it. I think on some level, maybe this is just me, I think that one feels um, responsible to it or kind of in some ways that you are um, that you are the the guardian of that of that piece of work that that if you are presenting that piece of work to your players and and I know a lot of people just laugh at this that that you have a sort of duty to present it in a in a in a careful respectful <laughs> and and um uh, hard hard thought way that somehow the fact that other people have collaborated and you are then also becoming a collaborator which is the wonderful thing about role-playing games is that the act of creation doesn't stop with the printing of the book um like a play i suppose it just continues indefinitely which is amazing so everyone that that then takes a part in the production of that game from then on all the players and gms you're all part of a continuum and oh wind starting up i might have to stop i think i'm going to stop for a minute okay i'm going to try again it's funny because because um because we're so exposed up here because really there's nothing of equivalent um um you know altitude height or elevation around us um it is of course can can get very windy up here but it's windy in very specific spots where it's always windy at those spots regardless of whether you can feel it anywhere else it's almost like the landscape is shaping the air movement which of course it is but it's yeah it's kind of odd um so yeah you together collectively i feel that you have a duty to 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 do to do your best <laughs> to continue the creation of that thing and and maybe that's why when i get one of these books i i feel like i really really want to absorb it fully i want to read it and reread it and reread it until it actually feels like it's part of my that's embedded in my brain um not that i won't need to refer to it during play but that i fully inhabited it and I've done this with the mask books. I 
have sort of done it for Two-Headed Serpent, but not really because of the structure of the of the book. It's it's actually a lot easier just to to run it in a slightly looser way because it's very episodic. And I'm certainly doing it with Berlin. I must have read the Berlin source book cover to cover now at least three times. And probably the sections that we're playing, the actual adventures, well, probably another three. So I, I I feel that there's a kind of responsibility on me to to do that. And, and so, of course, I feel more, well, more serious about it. I, I Somehow I don't want to get anything wrong. When it comes... Okay, so that's, that's these heavy tomes. And I think there's also another aspect to that. Is it a classic? Um, which seems a bit silly to say, in a way. But in a way, it isn't. If you think about how we approach works of literature, I think there's an analogue there. It's like if you're reading a recognised classic, I think your your mind goes to a very different place and you're, you're kind of assessing it and it's assessing you. It's almost testing you when you read... Um, Certainly when you read James Joyce's Ulysses, um, which I've only read snippets of, so it's a silly comparison, but when you read Shakespeare or Joseph Heller or William Burroughs or, um, um, you know, or the Bronte sisters um, or, you know, any of that kind of category of, of classics, they're testing you as much as you're reading them to, 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 well, I suppose to enjoy them, I suppose. Yeah. And it's almost like these, these classic, um, RPGs campaigns are also there to test us. Are we up to the job? Oh, we're getting to another windy bit here. Um, are we up to the job? And really of those three I mentioned, the only one of the three that is a stone cold classic because it's been around long enough to be granted that status by a lot of people is Masters of Nyarlathotep. The other two, I don't know. Um, they may become classics in time. Um, that they they feel like they have the potential to be, but you know it's too early to tell. If I had to put my money on it, I would say Berlin, almost certainly. Two-headed serpent classic in parts and, and I, you know and I, I have a friend who, who contributes to writing that so um, so take that as you will Scott if you, if you hear this um, I still I, I think it's brilliant whether it's a classic or not as I said time will tell um, I think I think I, I'll need to run it all the way through to really make a final judgment because reading it only gives you part of the part of that insight it's it's how it manifests at the table, surely, that determines whether an RPG campaign is a classic or not. Curse of Strahd. Hmm. Also a classic, I think. I think that's the only great book, uh, the only great campaign book that Watsi have released in this fifth edition cycle. I think a lot of their other campaigns are great. Um, they're really good to read. Um, I, th- I think they're exquisitely produced, but Curse of Strahd feels to me like that will go down 
that'll be pegged as the the classic book from this edition and i had the luck and pleasure of of playing in that with with marco as my exceptionally talented gm so yeah classic or not weighty or not the effort and creativity that go into it and i think when you compare that to a three-page white dwarf scenario i think it's pretty pretty clear that there's a there's a very big difference between the two so granted there are classic white dwarf scenarios they 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 are they're probably there's probably a consistent you know if you if you do some google searching on it um, th- there seems to be a convergence of opinion on which those are um, more more so the D&D ones but but also the Call of Cthulhu ones and you know Waters of Walberswick is recognised as a classic so is Ghost Jackal Kill I, I wonder why those definitions are given to them because there hardly seems enough there to to really make that judgment but there there you go I, I i guess it's in the context of white dwarf which was a what was it a 60 to 70 page mostly black and white soft cover bi-monthly periodical published between 1978 and whenever or at least the rpg focused run was what eight is mid eight is i don't know i'm not an aficionado you you need to go to the grognard files for that um so in the context of that and i think it costs 60 pence that's um that's uh not a lot of money even back then i mean if i could afford it as a 12 year old um it's not a lot of money so I suppose there's also some correlation between um, the investment you make and your psychological kind of response to something. We, we, you know, the, the, the sunk cost fallacy, not quite that, but um, the, 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 there is definitely a relationship between how much something costs and how much you value it. That's, that's well, well understood. Yeah, so... Even though they may be classics in, 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 in the memory and hearts of the people that ran and played them, I think they're on a completely different scale. And therefore, it's hard to, to really quantify them or classify them in, in the same way or feel that they had the same import. So, there's that. Those are published works. Now, let's get on to unpublished works. Because I left out a big piece of that which I obviously uh, realise now was a huge omission which is obviously the self designed, self written campaign that the GM writes now I was perhaps remiss in, in not saying that that the the campaign that I wrote that I've now run once all the way through and, and half and, and, and halfway through the, the first time around we never finished it uh, my my D campaign i took that very seriously i i felt that that was a very serious game and i and i committed way more energy to that than to anything i've ever done since um in in gaming i would spend hours and hours every week writing statting 
um, designing, drawing, um, or latterly putting stuff into Roll20, but more so, but more so, you know, we played it actually mostly face-to-face, so a lot of, you know, buying miniatures, um, painting miniatures, the whole nine yards. So, yes, clearly I took that very seriously and it was a very serious campaign in my head and I wanted there to be serious themes and I wanted a serious level of engagement from the players and and we more or less got it, you know, both times around, even though the first run-through was aborted um, due to the arrival of Amelia. Um, that's a rather unfortunate connection of words there, but um, bear with me. Um, yeah, so so I, th- I think that also has a huge effect on how important you see something. And I think that ties in very nicely with this improvised, improvised kind of game that I'm much more inclined towards now. Or, or, or I'm starting to love, love the alien. I'm loving the alien because it is quite alien to me. And, and, and that, because, because you haven't put the work in, or at least you're not putting the work in before the session. It also feels like you're not doing as much work during the session. Because, yeah, you're just making up stories, aren't you? <laughs> you're just making shit up. Um, as as dear Colin would say in, in his system. You're just making shit up. So, um, you know, the... the you, you have less control over whether the session is successful. You can't... You can't engineer things to, to make it go well. You can't engineer engagement. It has to just happen. And in a way, maybe that's the magic of, of what we're looking for. And maybe seriousness, importance, are not that important. Maybe I've been, you know, going down the wrong rabbit hole that all of this heavyweight prep all of this weight I'm putting on the game doesn't do it any favours. I don't know. I don't know. Only my players would be able to answer that. And the truth, truth be told, only the players who've played in both ongoing serious campaigns um, and, and the sort of more light-hearted or, or throwaway, let's call it throwaway, Throwaway. I'm going to have to play. I'm going to close this out with a message from Spencer. The more throwaway stuff. And I, I'm not going to defend my use of the word throwaway, but um, maybe they're the only ones that could really tell me one way or the other. Or maybe those that have morphed from, from throwaway to serious. I don't know if there's anyone that meets that, that criteria. I suppose the person I'm waiting to call in would be Daniel, because he's experienced many different aspects of, of my GMing, as I have of his. So, Daniel, it's a call out to you, man. I need that, I need that message. You know, you, know where, you, know where it, you know where I am? I'm waiting. See you soon. Here's Spencer. I'm sorry. Do my ears deceive me? The throwaway sessions? The throwaway sessions? With talk like that, sir, I'll wager your days of being dragged down by other players are surely numbered, and I vehemently recommend a crash course in solo gaming. Good day, sir. I said good day. Love you really.
It's a game we're role-playing I'm a stranger and you're 